I'm going to read Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage. I pray that you would sanctify us in your truth. Your truth will set us free. And your son Jesus Christ declared that he is the truth. And so I pray that you would fix our eyes on him and that you would help us to have understanding into his wonder and the wonder of the incarnation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If we desire to have a glimpse of the marvel of the majesty of the incarnation of the Son of God, we need to look no further than our passage here in Philippians chapter 2. If we seek to understand the person and nature of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we do well to consider carefully this particular passage that is before us. And as we've said this Advent season, we are looking at the work of the individual members of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy, Holy Spirit, in the coming of Jesus for our salvation. And last week we considered the passage from Galatians chapter 4 that said that God, the Father, sent forth his Son for us. But as we come to this passage, we see clearly that the Son did indeed come, but he didn't come under duress or under compulsion. He came willingly in humility and in obedience with joy and gladness for us. He was perfectly obedient. And that's what we need to see here is that in love, the Son willingly humbled himself in the incarnation to become like us in order that he might serve us as our Savior. Now, kids, uh, there's a couple of big words that I'm going to be using. It's important for us to understand these words. You may already know them. Great. It's always good to be reminded. The first word, I've already used it a couple times, and that is the word incarnation. Incarnation. We don't use that word a ton, but when we usually do, it's referring to Jesus. And it kind of means something like the birth of Jesus, but not, it means much more than that. What it really means, incarnation, it means to come in the flesh, to come and be a person, to come into humanity. Now, we don't use that when we talk about ourselves because as soon as we begin, we are 
in the body. We have a body and a soul. We, from the very point that we are conceived, we, are, we have a beginning and we are in the body. But not so the Son of God. Son of God, second person of the Trinity, is eternal. He has always been. He, there, has, there was no beginning for the Son of God. And yet, in the fullness of time, he became a man. He was incarnated. He took on human flesh. And he is forever in the flesh. He is forever a man. He did this for us. And, he, and when we, as we look at this passage, we see that he did this as an act of his humiliation. That's the other big word that we need to understand. Now, I'm sure you've heard humiliation, but we use that word differently than what I mean here. Humiliation really just means to bring someone down from a higher place to a lower place. It's the opposite of exaltation. Exaltation, we lift somebody up or we glorify someone or we declare their rightful place. Humiliation, we bring them down. You might use this to mean embarrassment or shame. Like if somebody makes fun of you in front of other people and everybody starts laughing at you, you feel humiliated because you're embarrassed or you're ashamed. That is a kind of humiliation because you're being brought low. But what's remarkable as we look at this passage is that the Son of God chose to enter humiliation for us. His incarnation his birth was an act of humiliation for us. He lowered himself for us. And we'll see that as we go through the passage. Um, three sections referring to the work of the Son and then one referring to the work of the Father. The, the, the Son submitted himself to the Father. He emptied himself in the incarnation and he humbled himself as a servant, and as a result, the father vindicated his son through the, uh, his exaltation. So, first, the, the son submitted himself to the father. From all eternity, the son of God put himself under the authority of the father. He was fully God from all eternity, and yet... He put himself under the person of the Father. And we see that through two uh, very important statements here in verse, chapter, or verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God. This is Christ Jesus, who was in the form of God. He was the very substance of God himself. The very being and essence of God. Equal in power and in glory, eternal in every way. Very God of very God. He was in the form of God. And this word that's translated form uh, is the Greek word morphe, which has kind of two senses. One, uh, it's blending of two different ideas. One is, um, it's, he was God's very nature. It shared, shared the same, participated in the same nature as the entire Godhead. But also, he, it was, he's the visible display of the true identity of the Godhead. Um, one 
commentator put it like this. He said it's not, uh, the, the word means that he's not simply an external appearance, but it, it, it pictures the pre-existent Christ as clothed with the garments of divine majesty and splendor. The sun is radiant, effulgent in glory, the true king over his creation. And Jesus himself hinted at this in his prayer in John chapter 17, where he said, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Equal in power and glory. And yet, when it comes to the relationship between the persons of the Trinity and the work of God, there is a distinction. There is a eternal subordination, is the phrase. A, a, the Son of God eternally and willingly put himself under the authority of the Father. And we see that here. He says, Who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was willing to put himself under the Father's authority to give all glory to the Father, to perfectly fulfill the Father's will. He is the perfect Son. Humility is, and submission are in a eternal aspect of the very Son of God, part of his very character. And as a result, because the Father chose, out of his mere good pleasure, to send forth his Son to be born of a woman born under the law, the Son, in perfect and willing submission, eagerly, joyfully, and willingly chose to come forth. And so it says that he did not seek to grasp for equality with God, but made himself nothing, or some versions say he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Now, kids, you know what it means to empty something. Usually what we mean is we have a container of something and we take the things out of it. So if you have a pitcher of water and you want to empty the pitcher, you pour the water out. And that understanding has caused certain people to be confused about what the Son of God did, as though some people believe that in the coming of the Son of God to become a man, that the Son of God emptied himself of his divine characteristics. He gave up his godness and became fully man, no longer fully God. But that, can, that cannot be, because God does not change. And it comes from a misunderstanding of what it means in that he emptied himself. You know, we normally talk about emptying by taking things away. But if you look, how did he empty himself? He emptied himself by taking something on. He made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, by taking on human flesh. That was an act of giving something up. Um, Dutch theologian Herman Bavink, a great Reformed theologian, he summarized the Reformed position about what 
it means for Christ, the Son, or the Son of God, to empty himself, what, what we believe that to be the case. And there are four important things. The first is that he voluntarily submitted him, took on the role of the servant of the Lord and the one who would acquire salvation for God's people and administer it for his people, that he willingly chose to say, I will be the one that will go. That's the first thing. The second thing is that in the fullness of time, he took on the human nature to be made like us in every way except for sin. And that becoming a human, a human being, entering humanity was an emptying of himself. Because number three, in so doing, he laid aside the divine majesty and glory, not his godness, but the, the glory and majesty, or, or rather, probably a better way of saying it, is he concealed his glory and his majesty under the cloak of the humanity that he assumed. And as a result, or in addition, even though fully God, fully sovereign, fully powerful, he did not once ever use his rights as a member of the Trinity, his power or his might for his own purposes, to achieve his own purposes apart from the will of the Father, to speak even on his own behalf. But he fully submitted himself in every way to the will of the Father. He chose to conceal his glory under common flesh made like us. No, nothing special, no former majesty that we should desire him. He chose to conceal his power in the frailty of a human baby and a, and a man of weakness. He chose to empty his rights as the king of kings and the lord of lords to become a servant, a servant of the Lord. And notice that it's, it's active. It's an active choice of his. He, he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He made himself nothing. It was an active work of the Son of God to do these things. But what's remarkable is his humiliation was not only in putting himself under the Father, and not only in the incarnation, but even in the manner of the incarnation. Because when he came, he didn't come in pomp and circumstance and in glory, but he came in the form of a servant. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. The servant of the Lord became the servant of men. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was born under the law. And as 
the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, our passage from last week, he said that a son, even when he's under the law, he is no different from a slave because he's subject to the guardianship of the law and the Son of God put himself under that guardianship. He made himself a slave for us so that he could be perfectly obedient to the law, so that he could be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that he could fulfill in himself the righteous demands of the law in a positive standpoint by obeying every part of God's law, but also in fulfilling it from the standpoint of receiving our just due on the cross. It was a perfect obedience. And beloved, what we need to understand is that our salvation is dependent upon the humiliation of the Son of God. And the Son of God willingly humiliated himself for you and for me. I know you know this, but good people don't get to spend eternity in God's presence. Perfect people spend eternity in God's presence. Perfect people are able to live with God forever and ever. But the problem for us is that we can't be perfect. That, that ship has sailed for us. We've lost that opportunity. David, in one of the Psalms, said, Surely I am sinful from birth, and sin did my mother conceive me. And James says that if we've broken even one law, we've broken the entire law. And if we are lawbreakers, we have no hope in ourself for being able to dwell in God's holy presence forever. He only accepts perfect people. So our only hope is to have God count some other perfection on our account. Some, someone else's perfection has to be counted to us. And so God sent forth his son. He sent forth his son. And the son, in perfect obedience, came. Now, if we're going to receive someone's perfection, and since we are human, a human must be perfect for us. And so he sent his son to be born of a woman. The, the son took on human flesh to be like us. He, he had to obey where, every place where we broke the law. And he had to pay the penalty for our law breaking. And so he had to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the son did this. He humbled himself for you and for me. He became a servant for our salvation. And as a result, because of his perfect obedience, 
because of his perfect submission, his perfect humiliation, God has vindicated his son. Therefore, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father vindicated his son who had humiliated himself for our sake and has exalted him with the name that is above every other name. And he validated that his obedience was accepted and perfect and complete. So, beloved, the father sent his son, and the son humbled himself for your salvation. He endured humiliation for your exaltation. Son of God strips his divine robes of glory, as it were, his majesty to be clothed with the frailty of human flesh. And in his moment of greatest testing, in his trial, he was clothed with a robe and mocked. And the robe was stripped to bear his bloodied back that he endured in obedience, in humility. He gave his life in service, in loving service for you and for me. And so, beloved, if you think, if you, if you doubt that, if you doubt the love of God, look at the Son of God and his love for you. Look at his humility and his service to you. If you doubt that he did that for you, scripture is clear. Do not doubt. Just believe. Receive the gift that he has given. He has come to give you life eternal, abundant, and free. But there's something else that we need to see here, and that is this. If Jesus came in humble service to perfectly obey the Father, since he has done this, and since he has come to take on human flesh and to become a a man just like us, and if he's been, since he's been found faithful in these things, then what we can say is that Jesus was the perfect man. And if we want to understand what it means to be truly human and to, to truly live in a way that is what God has designed for us so that we receive the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction, the greatest union with the Almighty God, we need to look at the incarnation of the Son of God. It took the Son of God becoming man for us to know what it means to be truly human. And he showed us that what it means to be truly human is to live in humble service before our God 
and in service to one another. It's, it's remarkable that in the point of his trial, as Jesus is bloodied and bruised and battered, as he is serving us in, his, in the, the wounds on his body, that the Pontius, Pontius Pilate takes our Savior and puts him before our eyes, and he says, Behold the man. That is the picture of how we ought to live. And that's exactly why the Apostle Paul gives us this passage. If you look back to verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he shows us Jesus. He says, This is, have this mind among yourselves. This is the way you ought to think, this is the way you ought to live. And this is yours in Christ Jesus. This is this is this type of service, this type of giving of ourselves for each other in loving obedience to our Father. That's not something that we can muster on our own. This is something that is ours in Christ Jesus. This is a this is a freedom and a gift that is given to us by the work of the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Him who worked in the Spirit of Christ who humiliated Himself for us and, and was perfectly obedient. Christ has given that same Spirit of humility and service to us. Us who, are, who have put our faith in Christ Jesus. So, how, what does that look like? How do, how do we do that? I think our passage explains that through the, the same three things that the Lord Jesus Christ did through submission, through emptying, and through humility. First, the Lord Jesus Christ submitted himself to the Father. Even though he was the form of God, he did not consider himself, consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Brothers and sisters, you are created in the image of God. But we are not God. And ever since our first temptation in the Garden of Eden, that has been our struggle. That is the nature of sin, that we would be like God, that we would elevate ourselves to God's level, and we would argue with God as though we know better than God, and we don't need God. The first step is we must submit ourselves to God, that we must remember who we are and who God is, that he is the creator and we are the creatures, that we must put ourselves under his authority, that we are wholly dependent for him. We must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, Peter said. Next, it means that we ought to empty ourselves even though Jesus did not consider equality with the thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. So also we must do the same thing. But Jesus, he emptied himself by taking on humanity. We empty ourselves by putting on Christ. Lord Jesus Christ did not divest. He did not give up his divinity, his godness, when he 
put on humanity, but he learned obedience through what he suffered. When we, when we put on Christ, we don't give up our humanity, but we are perfected in his holiness. God brings us to himself as we put on Christ, which means that we, we empty ourselves of any hope of salvation in and out of ourselves, that it's all for Jesus, that he has done all the work. It means that we die daily to ourselves. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ. It means taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. It means setting our hearts on things above, not on things below. It means asking God, purify my lips, that what comes out of my heart may be beneficial to those who hear, that it may build up. It means loving the Lord with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and using our hands and all of our labors as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him, to embody the love of Christ through our lives by his spirit. It means giving visible reality to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is truly our way and our truth and our life. And in doing so, necessarily, that means that we will humble ourselves before one another in loving service. Jesus loved the Father with this eternal and profound love, and that love was fleshed out in his service to us. And beloved, the same is for you and for me. For us to submit ourselves to the Lord means we love one another with loving service. We give ourselves to one another. That's why those two commandments are right next to each other. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength will result in loving your neighbor as yourself. And that happens in the course of service. We, we, we say that the chief end of man, the man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And beloved, that joy... The enjoyment of the Lord is fleshed out, is worked out, is given to us in service. As we serve the Lord with gladness and joy, God works that delight for himself in us. The joy of the servant is in the service, as one person once said. And that is very true. We were created for service in obedience to our Heavenly Father. And of course, we can't do this apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through the work of his Spirit, but he has given us his Spirit. God's grace empties us of ourselves that we might be filled in the, with the fullness of Christ who was perfect and glorious in every way. Beloved, there's a, a story in the Gospels uh, right after Jesus told his disciples he was headed to the cross to lay down his life. 
the disciples started arguing amongst themselves, which one of them is the greatest? Well, is it you, Peter? Is it you, John? They start arguing amongst themselves. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? And, he's, and they, well, they're arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus says this, he who will be the greatest will become the servant of all. He who will be the greatest will be made the lowest. And beloved, that is, that is the beauty of what we're told in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus Christ became servant of all for us and for our salvation. He was emptied that we would be full. He was humbled as a man that we would be exalted into glory. He was obedient unto death so that we would be alive forevermore. And as a result, God has exalted him to the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Beloved, this is our salvation. And it comes in servant form. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending your son to be our servant. We are so unworthy of your grace and your glory, and yet you are so lavish in your love that it is truly ours. Help us to grasp it, to receive it, to accept it, and to live as though it truly is ours. Help us to put our faith solely and squarely in Christ and in his finished work for us. Help us to live out his grace in our lives. Help us to be humble before you and obedient and to, and to enjoy you forever. Father, thank you for your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.